In this episode of Desert Island Torah, we have the zakhut of speaking to Rav Avery Joel, head of school at Fuchs Mizrahi in Beechwood, Ohio. Rav Avery has been at Fuchs Mizrahi since 2008 as a teacher, principal of Stark High School and now head of school. He previously served as grade coordinator at Ramaz Upper School in New York and involved in camps and experiential education. Rob Avery studied for two years at Yeshiva Shalvim, followed by a BA in Economics at YU, an MA in Jewish Education, and a Doctor of Education also at YU, as well as an MPA from NYU. Thank you so much, Rob Avery Joel, for joining us today. It's a real zakhut to have you with us. It's really my pleasure. Thank you for including me in this uh, really special project. So it's Desert Island Torah, three pieces of Torah that you would take to a desert island. What do they mean to you? Why are they so important to you? Really looking forward to learning and finding out your three pieces. So if we jump right in, should we go with your first piece? Sure. And, uh, and I listened to a number of these already. Uh, and so I'll just frame it as saying that the way I understood the question um, is which Torah concepts move me the most and resonate with me most and really get my juices flowing, I guess. Um, so for me, that that's how I this question and so i'm happy to to share my answers um and i'll start off with if i'm allowed to have favorite psukim in the torah i'll start off with my favorite psukim in the torah um which are from nitzavim and really around the pasuk uh, that the matter is very close to us it's in our mouths and in our hearts to do uh and those psukim and the few psukim leading up to that um, right, this mitzvah that I'm commanding you today, it's not so far. Right? It's not it's not so out of touch and out of reach. It's not in Shemayim that we would say, who's going to go to Shemayim and get it for us and bring it to us so that we can do it. It's also not overseas that we would need to say, that who's going to go across the oceans for us and go get it and bring it to us so that we could listen to the Torah and we can do it. But rather, and there's a machlokas about what this mitzvah is when we say, and one explanation is that it's talking about the mitzvah of tshuva. Um, and there are some really important lessons there in terms of um, our ability to do it and to do it by saying vidui and ugovavcha by really feeling the charata and really committing to doing uh, to doing better. Um, but I want to reflect on it um, within the other opinion, um, which is that it really is talking about the entire Torah. And there are a couple of lessons that I'd like to take out of this uh, and that I've learned, um, which can resonate deeply with me. And one is about accessibility. Uh, that from the one hand, it has to be us, right? It's not about having an, an intermediary. It's not saying who's going to go do this. It's supposed to be us. It doesn't require a tzaddik. It doesn't require an egel hazahav. And uh, I think that's one of the lessons that Moshe, Moshe teaches, teaches us. When he sees B'nai Yisrael uh, with the egel hazahav, he breaks the luchos to say it's not about an egel. It's not even about the luchos that Hashem just carved for us. You know, it's about us individually and our ability to engage with Torah, to make it ours, uh, to personalize it. That's one piece of it, that it has to be us. Mm -hmm. uh, the other part of that is that it can be done by us, not just that it needs to be us, but it is accessible. It's doable. Um, and I love that explanation of the Medrash about how every baby, every fetus learns kola Torah kula inside their mother's womb and on the way out 
uh, a malach touches us uh, above our lip and we forget all the Torah. And the question that's asked is, why? Why go through that process if in the end we're just going to forget it? And within this context, it makes a lot of sense to be able to say that the message is that we can do it. The message is we've done this already. We already learned kola Torah kula. So it gets hard at times. We need help at times. Absolutely. But we've done it. And that's chizuk for us that we can go ahead and, and continue to do it. And that's one of the really important messages that I take out of uh, those psukkah. The other is on halachic level, that uh, that halacha is set up as a partnership uh, between Hashem and us. And not just halacha, but there's so much about partnership between Hashem and us. Um, and in some ways, when we think about the halacha, so this pasuk is quoted in the Gemara and Bab Metziah, where there's a machlokas about Tuma and Tara, um, and it's a well-known Gemara. Rabbi, El- Rabbi Eliezer is arguing with the Chachamim, and he's so sure that he's right, that he calls on miracles to prove that he's right. He says, well, this carob tree is going to prove uh, that I'm right in this machlokas. And the carob tree uproots itself and moves and replants itself. And that doesn't move the Chachamim to, uh, to agree. And he says, okay, well, this stream is going to prove that I'm right. And the stream starts to flow backwards. And that doesn't move the Chachamim. And he says, all right, well, the walls of the base medrash, they're going to be the ones to, to prove that I'm right. And they start leaning in. And ultimately, the last step is a baskol comes out, right? A voice from Shemaim comes out and says, the halacha is like Rabbi Eliezer. And still, that doesn't do, any, do anything. And in fact, Rabbi Yeshua gets up and says, lo bashamayimhi. The Pasuk tells us that halacha is not in Shemaim. It's actually here with us. It's, it's given to the Chachamim to take and run with and to ultimately craft in partnership with Hashem and with the tools that Hashem gave the Chachamim to craft what that looks like. And that concept of partnership uh, is one that we see in other places too. Uh, it answers the question about Noah. Noah had to not only spend his time uh, 120 years, according to Chazal, building the Teva. And fine, I could understand that. It was the way for other people to see it and ask the questions and maybe that they would be influenced. But on the Teva itself, Noah had to go around and care for the animals. Wouldn't it have been okay for Hashem to say, you know, Noah, you put in a lot of work. You're on this teva now with your family. I will take care of the animals. Of course he could have. But when Hashem started this iteration of the world, it had to be done in partnership. So he said, Noah, I'm here and I'm here for you and I'm going to save you and your family and the animals. But you also need to be a part of this. You also have to contribute. You have to take care of the animals. And it also highlights one of the differences between the first set and the second set of luchos, that the first set of luchos were completely carved out by Hashem, and then inscribed by Hashem. And then the second one, the instructions for Moshe were very specific, that he was to cut out uh, cut out the stone um, that was then going to be written on. And it's specifically that second set of luthos. They're the ones that ultimately endure. Uh, they're the ones that last and aren't smashed immediately. And there's a powerful message there in terms of that partnership. And the last point I'll add about that is when we think about some of the famous mountains in our uh, in our past, and two in particular, it's fascinating to think about which on which mountain Kedusha has endured, right? And if you look at Har Sinai, the one where Hashem gave the Israel the Torah, that's not the one that we know about. I mean, we don't know where that is. There isn't this lasting Kedusha, but Har Habayis that does have a lasting Kedusha. And what's the difference? We were very passive at Har Sinai, right? We received an amazing gift, but we received it, and we received it passive. And when we think about Har Habayis. And all of the 
blood, sweat, and tears that went through creating that makom kedusha for Hashem. That's the kedusha that ultimately endures. And so that message of lo he and kikaru ve'lecha hadavar ma'od. You know, there are a lot of life lessons that we can that we can pull from that, and that serve as a motivation and a guide for us in terms of our relationship with Hashem and how we need to partner together in so many different things. Absolutely. Beautiful. Um, it's beautiful Pasuk, um, beautiful messages. Um, yeah, the Torah is close to us in so many different ways. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. So let's, should we go into your second piece idea? Sure. Uh, so the second one is also connected to a Pasuk, um, but for me is, you know, a little bit of a, a life guiding principle. Um, and based on the Pasuk in Shema, And if you look at Rashi, he gives us explanations for what that means. We're supposed to love Hashem. What does it mean? And Rashi explains, It's with your two Yetzers, your Yetzer Tov and your Yetzer Hara. And there's a good message there. And that's, you know, we take our, our abilities, our kochos, our characteristics, and whether they are pulling us to Tov or to Ra, we're supposed to try to channel them to Tov. That's wonderful. She explains that we're supposed to use all of our money um, to love Hashem. And that makes a lot of sense too, in terms of how we dedicate our money to make sure that we can be the best Ebed Hashem possible. The one that I find a little bit more puzzling is Bechol right? Nafshecha. What, what does that mean that with our entire Nefesh, uh, we're supposed to love Hashem? And the way that Rashi explains it is to say, oh, if, if there's a situation where it's a choice between giving up your life, you know, or serving Hashem. So yeah, so we're supposed to make sure that we give up our life, that really serving Hashem comes first. And obviously there are halachic considerations and, and when, when's it yehard yavor and not, but that's the idea. It's about dying al kiddush Hashem. What's a little bit challenging is thankfully, very few people are in that opportunity um, and in that position where they die al-Kiddush Hashem. Sadly, it's happened many times in history um, and even happening now in Eretz Yisrael. Um, but for every single person in Klal Yisrael, it's it's a little bit less applicable to use that definition when when we were talking about b'chol and b'chol ma'odecha, those being ones that really impact us daily. And I was reading a sefer Imre Baruch by Rabbi Baruch Simon which if we were talking about Svarim, that would probably be on my list of the ones I would take. Um, I, I, I really get a lot out of his um, out of his Ma'amarim on Torah and on the Chagim. Um, but he quotes the Ramban. And the Ramban explains that what it means is when we love Hashem, Bechol Nafshecha, it means we are dedicating our lives to serving Hashem. And we make our desires secondary to Hashem. That's something that can resonate with all of us. And that's something we can all apply. Um, he also quoted in a, in a different place um, that that was actually the indicator for Yosef when he was interpreting the dreams of the Sar HaMashkim and the Sar Ofim. That's how he knew that the Sar HaMashkim was actually going to be saved. Because in the Sar HaMashkim's recollection of his dream, the focus was on Paro and serving Paro. And he mentions Paro's coast four times, which actually actually suggests relates to Pesach and our our work, our, our Arbakosos, and how for us it's about serving Hashem. But because the Sarhamashkim was so focused on his role as an Eved, as someone who was serving Paro, he knew that he was going to be saved. And that's different than the Sarhovim, where he doesn't express 
that um, that focus on serving Paro, and therefore he met a different fate. And the language reinforces that. So that's how Yosef knew that the focus is is meant to be that we are serving Hashem. And you know, we 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 see this idea of sort of giving ourselves over to the cause, and we see that in Pirkei Avos. And Rabbi Gamliel, the son of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, says in the second parak of, Mish, of of Pirkei Avos. At the end of one of the Mishnahs, he says, that when there isn't someone who's stepping up to do something, we should seek to become that person. Uh, and, and that just reinforces that idea of that the idea is that it's not about what I want. If there's a need, we do it. Uh, Joseph Trumbledore is quoted as saying, galgal, ani galgal, right? if you need a wheel, I'm a wheel. Right? And that so embodies uh, the Israeli uh, halutz spirit of whatever it's going to take. And that needs to be our mindset, that whatever it's going to take, even if it might not be um, what I wanted to do, um, whether from a Tava perspective or what I think I should be doing, whatever it is, it needs to be, what does Hashem want us to be doing? What is my role as an Evid Hashem right now? And if that means stepping up into different roles and stepping up to do different things, because that's what the situation calls for, that's how we are makayim that pasuk of v'hafta Hashem alakecha b'chol levavacha b'chol nafshecha u'v'chol ma'odecha, and that's the other idea that for me has really, you know, been uh, a guide for how I think about um, my pursuits in my life. Absolutely, so important. I guess we love Hashem, but how do we serve Him? How do we serve Him in our everyday lives? Um, crucial and. Exactly. So important. Thank you for sharing. So should we go into your third idea? Sure. And and admittedly, if this really were about a uh, a desert island, this would probably be less applicable. Um, but I'll I'll take that prompt a little bit less literally. Um, famous Gemara in Ksubas, it talks about, uh, and we we sing part of it at weddings. Kate and Morak and and the Gemara talks about what are we supposed to say when you go to a wedding, right? You go to the wedding, you're talking to the, the groom, you're talking to the chassan, and it's a machlokas, Hillel and Shammai, and the part of the song that we sing is Hillel, which is kala nava chasuda, the kala is beautiful, that's what you say when you go to a wedding. The Shammai piece of it, we don't sing, uh, and Shammai says, kala kamoshahi, you're supposed to tell it like it is. If you look in Tosos, he gives explanations for what that really means. It doesn't mean you, you come in and you really... Uh, you know, give your your assessment over the looks of the kala. It means you find something nice to say, or like our parents taught us, if you don't have something nice to say, you don't say anything. And the Gemara talks about what's really there. And of course, whenever there's a machlokas like this, it really is just is about competing values. And for Shammai, the value seems to be very clear, um, that it's about MS, right? How can you say kala na'va as a default if maybe you don't feel that way? Ah, we can explain the kala is always beautiful to the chassan. Maybe that's true, but Shammai is really all in on, on MS. Hillel is obviously not taking MS to be the most important value. So what is the most important value? So the conclusion of the Gemara, after it brings a, a case of someone who comes from the marketplace and, uh, and says, hey, do you like what I bought? The Gemara kind of says, of course you're going to say, of course I like what you bought, because that's what we do. And the Gemara concludes, that always a person's mind uh, should be um, intertwined with, with other, other creations. Meaning you have to know who you're talking to and you have to know who you're dealing with. 
And this is a message about empathy and a message about understanding other people. And I heard a really beautiful Dvar Torah from Rabbi Benjamin Blau, who I have the privilege to uh, to work with, um, and who's also our Mora de Asra. And he was contrasting Ruvain and Yehuda and almost lamenting, you know, poor Ruvain, where he tries to be the leader and, and kind of ends up as a tragic hero. Um, and Yehuda does have this abil- ability to demonstrate real leadership. And ultimately that becomes the lineage and the identity of Yehuda. And most specifically, Reuben tried to convince Yaakov to let the brothers go back to Mitzrayim with Binyamin in tow. And he so much wants to be this leader that he offers to sacrifice his own children should the mission fail. And Yaakov says, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, don't take Binyamin. And you know that his, his plea is sort of denied. And just a couple of seconds later, Yaakov allows Yehuda to convince him to let Binyamin to go with them to Mitzrayim. So why? So certainly on a shot level, the, the psukim in between described that the famine got worse and maybe just got to a point where Yaakov said, fine, you know, desperate time, desperate measures, take Binyamin and go. But there could be another explanation, which is that what Yehuda demonstrated in his appeal to Yaakov to let him take Binyamin and what he ultimately embodied and is a, an important leadership quality is empathy. Yehuda himself had experienced his own loss of his children when two of his sons died. And therefore, he could relate to what Yaakov experienced by Yosef and was worried about experiencing again uh, and feared what happened again to Binyamin. And knowing that Yehuda understood, knowing that Yehuda could really relate to those concerns, Yaakov was more inclined to trust Yehuda in that situation. Mm-hmm. So that vida of empathy as an important leadership quality uh, is, is really the lesson there. Uh, it's also part of what made Moshe Rabbeinu so special. And Chazal tell us about how Paro was worried um, that, you know, he was told uh, uh, the prophecies that someone from B'nai Israel was going to come and take the Jews out of Mitzrayim. That led to the decree of killing the sons. And yet somehow he lets Moshe live. Uh, it was seems pretty obvious that Moshe was a Jew. And yet Paro allowed him uh, to grow up and wasn't worried that he'd be able to take the Jews out. And the reason he wasn't worried to take the Jews out is because he figured that there's no way that Moshe, growing up in the palace, could empathize with the slaves. What we see in the end is that was actually one of Moshe's amazing midos, that he really could empathize. And we see it from the moment he goes out and sees that his brothers are being uh, are being persecuted, and he does something about it. He didn't grow up with them, yet he still, even though he didn't live that experience, he was really able to empathize. Uh, and that midah, being one that is is important for leadership, uh, that's that's the lesson from Hillel and the Gemara. That tamid heve daso shall adam urav im habrios. We need to know. We need to understand other people. We need to know what their lives are like, what they might be experiencing and enduring. We need to know how what we say and what we do has the capacity to impact them. Uh, and understanding that, always making sure that what we do is Latov, based on who it is that we are talking to, Ba'asher Husham, you know, based on where they are in that moment. Uh, so for me, that's sort of a third piece, a big challenge for us to do. Um, easier on a desert island if you're alone. Um, but that piece of empathy is 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 an important mida uh, that for me is one of the midos that resonates deeply as something that I try to strive for. Amazing. Such important Tara. Um, really, really um, amazing. So thank, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing such inspiring 
tour with us. Thank you for the opportunity, and I really appreciate your podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisrael. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at desertislandtorah at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.